Today's scripture reading comes out of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. It reads, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we give you thanks that we are of inestimable worth in your eyes. Not for what we own, not for what we can do, not for what we've achieved, but simply because we are made in your image and we bear your likeness. We've been redeemed by your Son on the cross. Because we too often forget our eternal worth, we ask for your Spirit to teach us through your Word this morning that we may store up treasures in heaven and lay hold of that which is truly life. Lay hold of the one who is truly life, even Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name and all God's people said. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thanks, team. As Matt said, we're kind of jumping around in Timothy, trying to align maybe some of the scriptures with some of the things going on in the life of our church. So we have jumped to the end, um, chapter 6 this morning. Next week we'll be ordaining elders and deacons, and so we'll be going back into chapter 3, and then we'll kind of get back on track. Anyway, I want to begin this morning with a question. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, How many of you believe you are rich? We're thinking about. Griff Freischlag is a rich man. I agree with that, brother, um, in more ways than one. Um, Yeah, according to the New York Times, it's interesting, only 5% of Americans actually believe that they fall into that category, and it seems like the definition of rich is sort of a little little bit of a moving target, depending on your income class. Uh, When the Wall Street Journal polled people on this question several years ago, the general consensus across income brackets was that a person would be rich if they doubled their current income. The New York Times did a little bit of a deeper dive into that more recently in, in, in some polling, and they found that the multiplier actually went up or down depending on which income class you belong to. So if you, if you made less, the, 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 what, 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 what you defined as rich tended to be much higher. The higher you got in your income class, the more the multiplier came down. So for example, um, if you were making $25,000 or less a year, um, people in that category believe they would be rich if they made about 10 times what they currently make. Um, those making between thirty and 60000 believe they would be rich if they made six to eight times what they make. And those be- up, making up to 120000 believe they would be rich if they quadrupled their income. And again, it, they kind of went up and down from there. Um, of course, the common theme here, right, is that when we're talking about what it means to be rich, we tend to compare ourselves to those who are higher up in their income streams rather than those who maybe don't make as much of us, right? I mean, that, that's kind of the deal. Um, and, and that's why so few of us actually feel like we're, we're rich. But if you take a step back and look objectively at the numbers, I think we'll find that a lot of us here are richer than we might actually think. For example, the median household income in 2021 in the United States was around $70,000 a year. So if you made more than that, that puts you in the top 50 percentile of the country, and that friends, might make you rich. 
If your household income was 120000 a year, which is the median, by the way, here in Parker, Colorado, you are in the top 25% of the country, and that, friends, might make you rich. And then consider what happens if you expand out beyond the borders of the United States to the rest of the world. The median uh, worldwide household income is $2,800 a year. So now factor that into your head, right? I mean, if you are bringing in the median of $70,000 a year in the United States, you're making 25 times what most of the world is making. And that, friends, might make you rich. Or if your household income is like it is here in Parker, 120000 a year on average, you're making 42 times what most of the rest of the world is making. And again, that, I submit to you, might make you a rich person. But here's the thing. You know, so often we think of being rich as something that's bad, something that's evil, right? We're told that over and over again by our culture. It, 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 and, and, and that's certainly not a biblical idea. It simply means that there are more challenges. It simply means that to whom much is given, much is expected. And so those who are given a wealth of resources are expected one day to have to give an account for those resources before God. Remember Jesus' parable of the talents? You know, Jesus often talked about wealth. He often talked to rich people. So he, has this, he tells these stories. He told a parable about a, a person who was given five talents, a person who was given two talents, a person who was given one talent. All right? And the master judged each one of them according to what they did with those talents. Did they grow the master's business? Did they expand the master's influence? Did they advance the master's kingdom? Um, or did they bury their talent into the ground? Obviously, we want to be like the servants who use their talents to please their master, which is why I so appreciate these words from 1 Timothy, where Paul specifically addresses those who are rich, those people like you and like me. And he shows us the way to walk faithfully before the Lord when it comes to our wealth. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and open to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. I don't see a lot of you opening your Bibles, okay? There, it's the black book that's sitting in the pew or the chair in front of you. You can grab it, pull it out. If you're not familiar with the Bible, 1 Timothy is sort of in the second half of the book towards the end there. We're going to read the passage that, or walk through the passage that Madison just read for us. And Paul begins, he says, as for the rich in this present age. And again, that's that's you and that's me. It's, he's talking to us. I still remember when I first realized I was rich. Christy and I were on public assistance at the time, uh, living in New Jersey, going to grad school. Every month, we had to go to the local social services office to pick up our WIC checks. If you're familiar with that program, Women, Infant, and Children, it's a federal program, I believe. Anyway, um, we, we, we used those checks to buy things like milk and, and uh, carrots and peanut butter and eggs and those kinds of things. I got to admit, it was really, really challenging to walk into that office every month. I had to really swallow my pride. That was really hard. Um, but we, we needed it. We had two kids at home, two young kids at home. Chloe was two. Josiah was just born. And, um, and our income was less than 25000 a year. And I remember going to the grocery store to, to, to buy food with those checks. And I remember being treated differently if I paid with it, one of those checks versus when I went and paid with cash. All right, the clerks wouldn't necessarily make as much eye contact. There was very little small talk. And I remember thinking to myself how hard it must be for those who are trapped in poverty. You see, I knew I had an out. I knew that there would come a day when I would graduate and get a job at a local church, and God willing, my income would increase. So what I was experiencing was, at best, a minor inconvenience. Of course, little did I know the twins would come along. We'd be back on WIC as a pastor, but whatever. That's another story. Anyway, all right, the, the experience stuck with me. 
And it gave me perspective. And of course, that perspective has only deepened and broadened as I've gone to places like Ethiopia and Uganda and Rwanda and other parts of the world. Without a doubt, I am rich in this present age. And so are most of us sitting here in this room or watching from home online. And the question for us this morning is how to walk in faithful obedience before the Lord with our wealth. And thankfully, Paul tells us, okay? Faithfulness, friends, begins, as Paul will show us, by acknowledging the source of our wealth. The source of our wealth. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud. Charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see, the great temptation when it comes to wealth um, is that we become proud. Uh, We start to believe our own hype. We start to believe that we are the source of all that we have made. We start to believe that our wealth is a result of our hard work, our dedication, the long hours we put in. And so we are then able to use it as we please because we've earned it. It's ours to use as we see fit, right? And we forget it is God who gave us our ability to make wealth in the first place. It's God who gave us our gifts and talents. It's not like before you were born, you kind of went to the smorgasbord and got to pick which gifts that you wanted, right? I mean, that's not how it works. You're simply born into the world. You have a specific set of gifts and talents that if you take advantage of, at least in America, in our country, you're going to be able to probably make money. You're probably going to be able to, to, to have a living, to do some things in your life, right? And we forget that it is God who provides those things. We forget that it's God who provides the opportunities along the way that we get to take advantage of. We forget that it was God who determined where we were born and what family that we were born into and the advantages that so many of us receive as a result. You see, you and I could just as easily have been born in a subsistence farming village in East Africa, doomed to live in life-threatening poverty for your entire life, no way to get ahead. That's most of the rest of the world. But no, we were born here, right, most of us. And, and, we, were, and we were born into families, most of us, that supported us and encouraged us. I'm, my family's just as broken as anybody, so they're not perfect families, right? We all have stuff we got to overcome. I'm not diminishing that in any way. But the reality is, is that God has given us advantages, friends. And as we take advantage of those things, as we put those advantages to work, we are able to build wealth, but we've got to not fall into that trap of thinking that somehow this is all due to our own effort. Remember my favorite definition of pride. It comes from a man named Evagrius Ponticus, and it's essentially the attitude that says, God is not my helper. God is not my helper. I got this, God. I'm good. I'm in charge of my own life. No, the reality is everything we have is a gift from God's hands. Amen? Yeah. He is the source of our life. He's the source of our strength, the source of our talent, the source of our ability, the source of our opportunities. He is the source of all the wealth that we have accumulated over the course of our lives, and He entrusts it to us for a time. And His expectation is that we will grow His business. We will expand His influence. We will advance His kingdom here on earth with the time that we have been given. Now, a second temptation is, is that we place our trust in our riches. So, so on, on the one hand, we forget the source of our riches. And then the second temptation is we place our trust in our riches. I still remember meeting with my financial advisor several years ago, a great friend of mine. He's a member here at Pepsi. 
I won't embarrass him by saying his name, but his initials are John Bennett, and he's sitting right over there. Anyway, um, he asked me the first question that every financial advisor asks, right, when you go to meet with them for the first time, and that is, what is your goal? What is your goal? What do you want to do with the wealth that God has entrusted to you? Is it to retire early? Is it to have a vacation home on a beach somewhere? Is it to leave as much as you can to your kids? What is your goal? Well, for us, for Christy and I, our goal is to give as much away as possible. That was actually good news for John to hear that his pastor believes that, right? That's, good. that's actually good, right? Um, but, but that's really our heart, right? We, we, we didn't do it to impress him. No, we honestly believe with all our heart that God has entrusted to us a certain amount of wealth, and he's given that for me to leverage for his glory in the world. To do all I can, again, to expand his kingdom here on earth. Uh, to do all I can to, to support his kingdom work, both here at home and, and abroad. And, and I'm unbelievably blessed. Christy is just as passionate about this as I am. And so we're aligned on this. And our, our goal, our hope would be that, you know, as we get older and, and life moves on, that we're able to give 20%, 30%, maybe even 40% to the Lord before we die. That would be awesome. All right? And we've always given at least 10%, even when we were on WIC. All right, in recent years, we've started to increase that little by little, even with kids in college. And again, why do we do that? Because we have our hope set on God, who richly provides, gives us everything we need to enjoy. Amen? When you have your heart set on God, friends, you don't worry about the rest. That's the great news. That's really the blessing of it all, right? You set your hopes on God, and man, he just takes care of you. It is awesome. We're going to sing a song at the end where it talks about God holding on to us, right? And it's, it's, it's an awesome song because it's a great reminder that if you really believe that, that God is holding on to you, then you just don't worry so much. You don't have as much anxiety, especially when it comes to our wealth. Now, the second thing that Paul talks about in this passage is the impact of our wealth. So he begins by talking about the source of our wealth, and he moves to the impact of our wealth, the impact it can make. Again, wealth is not a bad thing in and of itself. Money is not evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil, like I shared with the kids. And so, again, how do we avoid falling in love with our money? How do we avoid hoarding it all for ourselves? How do I avoid, you know, having that dollar bill just sort of cling to my heart and, you know, and, and I get all wrapped around the axle about it, right? Uh, no, instead what God wants, the antidote that God gives for greed, the antidote for God, that God gives for us, you know, to prevent us from falling in love with our money is, is he, give, he, he tells us to be generous. He tells us to give it away, to share it with the world, right? To make an impact with what he has given us. So look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.18. He says, they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. All right? So you and I, as rich people in this world, we are to take our riches and to do good with them. Take the opportunities, the blessings we've been given, and to do good with them. You know, I saw a great example of it this week when we flew to Phoenix for our denominational meetings. We go to the airport early Wednesday morning. We get on a plane and Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary's sitting in an aisle seat near the front, like a prime spot, like right where you want to be. And as he sits down, he, he, he starts talking to the person next to him, of course, right? And getting to know them. And, and the woman, he, he figures out that the woman, her husband's sitting behind her. They kind of got two middle seats back to back in two aisles, right? Or in two, in two rows there. And what does Gary do? The next thing I know, Gary's getting up out of his seat, the aisle seat. He's giving it to the husband. And he's choosing the middle seat. In the, that never, that's like a miracle. Like right, right in front of me. I could not believe it. 
And, and it, was, it, it was awesome. It's why we call him Gary McChrist, right? And if, if I were half the godly man that Gary is, I would have given my aisle seat to Pastor Matt, who was all the way in the back of the plane in the last row next to the bathroom. But I'm not. So Matt sat back there, and I stayed in my spot with my headphones on. Anyway, whatever, okay. The point is, right, we take the blessings that we've been given, and we share them with others. It's the most natural thing in the world for Gary to do, of course, right? He didn't do it to impress anybody. He just did it because he wanted to bless this couple, and they could, you know, ride to Phoenix on a plane and, and spend that time together. And that, that's really the goal here, friends. It's to share what we have with others, whether they be strangers on a plane or close friends or our spouses or our families, doesn't matter. True wealth is not determined by the size of our bank accounts or by the, you know, performance of our investment portfolios. No, according to Paul, true wealth is to be found in the acts of service that we do for others in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Be rich in good works, he says. Let the true value of your life be measured not in the amount of possessions that you accumulate, but in what you give away. When you and I stand before the judgment throne of God and we have to give an account for what we did in this world with the wealth that he has entrusted to us, we want to make sure we show an eternal return. Amen? I mean, I want God to look at what I have been given and, and look at all that and say, man, Doug, you took the talents that I gave you and you multiplied them many, many, many times over because you gave them away to expand my kingdom in this world. We want to show the Lord that we did our best to bless those around us. What good is it, Jesus says, to gain the world but to lose your soul in the process? Yeah, I mean, what, what good is it, Jesus says, to accumulate so much wealth you have to build bigger barns to house it all when your life could be taken from you this very night? What good is it, Jesus said, to be rich if it makes it harder for you to get into the kingdom of heaven? Much better, much better to do good with what you have. Much better to be rich in good works when you stand before the Lord. Much better to be generous and ready to share. And this challenge, of course, is not just for us as individuals. It's for us as a church family as well. Y'all gave so generously to the work of the Lord here at Pepsi in 2022 that we finished the year almost $250,000 ahead between designated and, and undesignated giving. Yeah, praise God. Right? And guess what? Now the elders have a challenge in front of them. What are they going to do with that money? Y'all didn't give it to stick it in a bank. I know that. Right? We're going to have to figure out what it is the Lord wants us to do with it to expand his influence here in Parker and beyond and advance his kingdom here in Parker and beyond. And tonight, if you come to Vision Night, and I hope you will, you'll get a chance to hear a little bit of where we believe the Lord is leading us in the coming year. And you'll get a chance to hear about how your giving, your gifts make an eternal impact right here in Parker. And you'll get a chance to see how your generosity and willingness to share can make a huge difference among the least reached and the least resource in the world around us in the name of Jesus. And my hope will be that you'll find your greatest joy in the fruit of seeing how all of that works itself out, seeing what God does with the gifts that you give. Now, here, here's the most amazing thing, I think, according to Paul. He says, when we invest our wealth in God's kingdom, we reap an eternal reward. When we do good, when we are rich in good works, when we are generous and ready to share, what, we, what happens? 1 Timothy 6.19, we store up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. At the end of the day, we all know we cannot take our wealth 
with us. At the end of the day, we all know that what we work so hard to accumulate in this life, it just, it just turns to dust. The homes we live in are wonderful, but things begin to break down, right? The cars that we drive are nice for a season. The next thing you know, they're in the shop for repairs. The money that we make, um, you know, it might grow as we invest it in the stock market, but that can crash at any moment, or inflation can rob us of our buying power. Ask anyone who tries to buy eggs these days, right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, right, absolutely. The careers that we have might feel stable right now, um, but layoffs can happen sometimes when we least expect it. I remember talking to a friend who ran HR for a, a fairly significant oil and gas company here in town years ago, and she told me that year she gave out the largest bonuses in company history along with pink slips because the price of oil had crashed, all right? And some of you here knows what that feels like. You have lived that, right? That's been your life. Guess what, friends? God knows all this, and that's why he wants us to store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth, right? So he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You think about how much time you spend sweating over money. Think about how much stress and anxiety um, that you experience as you try to maintain your lifestyle. Think about how much you worry in certain seasons over how the bills are going to get paid or think about the energy you spend on retirement planning and monitoring your investment portfolio. Friends, God offers us a better way. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven by practicing generosity. Make it your regular practice to give to the work of the Lord. Not because He needs it. Not because the church needs to make the budget. Not even because there's some project or ministry that you want to be a part of. No, we give because God first gave to us. That's what motivates us. All right? That's, that's the challenge. That's where God wants our heart to be. We share because God first shared with us. We are generous because God has been generous with us. This is what it means to store up treasures in heaven. It means we give without any strings attached. We give without any need to get some kind of earthly return on that investment. We give because God has asked us to give, and we know that's the antidote. That's the, the means that He provides to keep us from falling in love with our wealth, or depending upon our wealth, or trusting in our wealth. No, we take all that we have and all that we are, and we offer it back to Him as an act of worship. That's why we do an offering week over week over week here. It is not to raise money for the budget. It is to provide you, the people of God, an opportunity to take a portion of what God has given to you and return it back to Him. It's really, when you think about it, an opportunity to save your own soul on some level. Because again, our souls get so twisted around the axle when it comes to money, when it comes to wealth. Well, here's the thing. As you keep your focus on heaven, guess what happens? God cares as much about your life here on this earth as he does about the life to come. And so as you keep your focus on heaven, God's promise is that he will begin to build a sure foundation for you here on earth. It'll be a byproduct of this lifestyle that you are creating for yourself as you seek to follow Jesus. Listen again to these familiar words from Jesus. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise person who built their house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish person who built their house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great, great was the fall of it. Now here's a question for you. You can raise your hand for this one. How many of you want an unshakable life? Come on now. How many of you want an indestructible life? Yeah, a life free from worry and anxiety. Isn't that what we all want, what we all long for? I hope so. That's the life that Jesus promises those who will commit their way to him. So if you listen to Jesus' words and you commit yourself to do good and you commit yourself to be rich in good works and you commit yourself to be generous and ready to share, always keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus who generously gave us all things, including his own life, guess what? You will, you will be building your life on the rock. And when the rains come, and they will come, all right, when the floods come, and it, and it will come, and when the winds blow and beat on your house, and that will happen in this world, in this life. Amen? You won't have anything to fear. Why? Because I am. The God of the universe is holding on to you. He has your life in his hands. And you have founded your life on the rock that is his son, Jesus Christ. And that makes your, your foundation sure. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and our kids are going to come in and join us for communion as we gather around the Lord's table and sing our final song here in a minute. As I do, let me give you this final promise out of this passage. You see, as we keep our eyes focused on heaven and we build our lives on the rock here on earth, guess what? We will find ourselves taking hold of that which is truly life. And what is that which is truly life? It is Jesus himself, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. All right, You will find yourself taking hold of that which is truly life, abundant life, eternal life, the life that Jesus promises all who would follow him. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it to the full. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your life is guaranteed not by any worldly wealth or resources. It is not dependent on the size of your paycheck or the performance of your 401k. It is secured, friends, by the life of your good shepherd, the one who laid his life down for his sheep. Amen? Yeah. And that's what really we celebrate when we come to this table, right? This is the foundation upon which we build our lives. It is a foundation not built by our own hands. It is a foundation built by the hands of Christ himself. He lays this foundation with his own body and his own blood. And he offers it to us, to anyone who would simply receive it. You don't have to do anything to earn this, friends. You don't have to do anything to achieve this, friends. You don't have to do anything at all except simply open your heart and receive. And let the Lord come in. You think about those disciples that were sitting around the table with Jesus that first or that, I should say, that last meal, that last supper he was having with them. And, you know, they, their whole lives were still ahead of them, so much to come. And they had no idea what was in store for them. They had no idea where life was going to take them. And Jesus, in the middle of that supper, as he sits there, and I could just, you can almost see him looking at each and every one of them, knowing that he was not going to be with them for very much longer. What does Jesus offer them? His own body. Broken and given them. He says, every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to trust what I've done for you. And then after supper, Jesus takes the cup and he says, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And every time you drink of it, I want you to remember what I've done for you. On this foundation, friends, we build our lives. This is the rock. And today, you get a chance to come and receive and remind yourself again of what Christ has done for you. The goodness of our God, friends. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Pete, you need to smile at me when I say what Jesus has done for you is amazing, brother. All right? I mean, don't get to know the pastor. He might call you out on a Sunday morning. But uh, let me ask the elders to come on down. Um, there will be two gluten-free stations. They'll be on the outside.